The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This is Matt Liner, and you're listening to Reign of Troy Radio. Reign of Troy Hotline. Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Get Michael Castillo on the phone. <laughs> Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Oh, I can't believe USC is five and seven and not going to a ball. Oh. All right, Trojan fans, turn up the volume. It's time for Reign of Troy Radio. Here's your host, Michael Castillo. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio, episode 331, coming to you on Tuesday, September 10th. We are going to talk about the fallout from USC's 45-20 to beatdown of the Stanford Cardinal at the Coliseum. We're going to open up the mailbag, talk about our rewatch, go over some over-under, and so much more here in this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is Reign of Troy at fansided.com, and our phone number is 213-373-1USC, second what's burn show. I'm your host, Michael Castillo, live from the, not really live, but you know, from the Reign of Troy studio, and I'm joined with my co-host, Alicia Dertola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. It has been an interesting couple of days because we've rewatched this game, and it was one of those car casts that wasn't all, you know, fire and brimstone. The rewatch wasn't something that, you know, you could dread doing. It's been, it's been... A, Interesting change of pace. A welcome change of pace, though, right? Like, it's nice being able to watch a football game and not having to chart, like, you know, in past rewatches, half of the time I would spend in a rewatch is pause, go back, who screwed up? Pause, go back, who screwed up? Like, okay, wait, that guy screwed up. Wait, let's see what the linebacker's doing. They screw up. Let's see what the DBs are doing. They screw up. Like, all, it, it was nice to sort of go into into more of like, okay, who did well on that play? Who did something good on that play? Like, it's been a while since I've been able to do that as often as I was doing in this game, and it was just really fun. Like, I've put this on on the website now. I've I've said this in in the car cast and on Twitter and on other places. Like, it was just fun. Like, it was just nice to come out of a football game and remind yourself why you why you put yourself through this, like why you love the sport and why you love USC. And I'm, I'm milking it for all I can get. Like I'm, I am full blown embracing the fun and we're going to have a conversation about the difference between embracing fun and also sort of buying in and uh, setting yourself up for disappointment later. But at the very least, you got to come into this one. I'm just, I'm just enjoying it while it lasts. Yeah. I think you put it well on Twitter on Saturday night. If, if you're not a fan who can take joy in this win that USC had on Saturday, then why be a fan? Because they they 
they put together a game that everyone would wanted to see from them, and that was a huge welcome sign. And you, you got to embrace that when it does happen uh, for the Trojans, and they were able to do it. Will it matter in the end of the, the season? Uh, will the Stanford false pro- positive ring true again? Maybe. Perhaps. Probably. And for one day, SC was exactly what they could be, what they should be, what anything, and that got people riled up. Giving us a call, let's go to those calls. Yo, this game has started almost exactly as expected. And this is just uh, just so upsetting. I don't think it needs to be said that Helton needs to be fired at this point. The defense looks uninspiring. Very upset with the defensive line. Uh, Vilas Jones, oh my god. Dude, hold on to the kick. Why is a freshman starting at quarterback when you have two experienced players like Jack Sears and Matt Fink sitting on the fucking bench? It doesn't make any sense. Ben Griffith can't punt a football to save his life. I don't know why we have him. You have a first and goal at the Stanford 5 on the first drive of the game. You can't convert that into points. There's supposed to be some creative air raid offense that we can't put the ball in right there. It's atrocious right now. It's embarrassing. Tyler keeps dropping passes. I'm just absolutely in disarray right now. I'm trying to hold in every ounce of me from screaming. I think the rant doesn't need to be any longer than that. I'm sure you're going to get thousands of rants. But if you want more ranting and you want more breakdown, give me a call. I'll be here. Depressed Trojan fan. One, two, three, break. One, two, three, break. Hey, Rena Troy. Sean here from beautiful Austin, Texas. This is Jackson in Virginia. Hi, guys. Trini from the west side. This is Andrew from Buckeye Country. Yo, Brandon Troy. It's your boy Brandon again. Hey, guys. This is Michael in Idaho. Scott from Memphis. Coming from San Diego. This is L.A. Fred. Raina Troy Radio. What's up? This is Dave from Orange County. I only have one thing to say about that USC Stanford beat them down. woo Michael, Alicia, is this a rave line? It's going to be a rave line. Hey, Raina Troy, I'm not calling the rant line, I'm calling the rave line. 35 unanswered points. 35 unanswered points. Holy cow. Are we going to be good? Like, is Stanford bad? I... I don't understand what's happening. Like, what's happening? Man, I wish I could say I was pumped up and 100% and fancy free the entire game, but I'll be honest with you, I was shit my pants for the first quarter. All the way here from Ohio, I was ready to burn down Heritage Hall and fire everyone. I wanted everybody gone. They say it takes a big man to admit when he was wrong. Uh, right now, I'm about 6'8", 350. We actually made some adjustments, which is very, very new. Defense stood up and balled. Offense just came out and did what we need to do. You know what that is? That's big dog status. And I just wanted to say how incredibly impressed I am so far with watching Keaton Slovis direct our offense. Hello, Slovis. Or I should say, Slovis, the second coming of Sam Darnold. That kid, that kid can play. Slovis was throwing dimes out there. He played like he knew what he was doing. He threw to seven different receivers. Did you even know as he had Seven receivers? What? Now we see why Grand Penner was all over that jock. And I didn't know really what to expect. 
given that he's an 18-year-old true freshman, but hot damn, he is looking really good. He should have been the number one quarterback going into the season. That guy, that guy reinvented our offense. Can we keep Graham Howell forever? I love the air raid offense now. You know, it was really nice having fun watching USC football. This game is so satisfying. The atmosphere in the Coliseum was fun. People were happy. I haven't had that much fun watching a game in so long. Finally started looking like the talent that we have on the field. This is the first time in like 10 years USC played like they have five-star players. They played like they have better players than the other teams. They look like the team that they should have looked like this entire time. Now, BYU, Provo. I saw where that game's going to be early. That's really, really, really good. Because, as you know, those BYU fans start drinking early. And the longer they drink, the rather they get. And if we were playing in Provo at night, it would be pretty chaotic. Wait, hold on. I'm sorry. No, that's my mistake. I'm thinking of LSU. BYU next weekend. We're coming for you. We're going to have a Rotbot meetup. Hoppers, Utah, Friday night. So Rotbot's the one that you guys get out there and do our thing. Represent. Uh, but love the podcast. Thanks for everything you guys do. Thanks. And fight on. Fight the S on. Fight on. Fight on, baby. Fight on and beat the Cougars. Fight out. Take care. Take care. Yeah, the kids from Arizona is good. But everyone knows Jack would have been 30 for 22 for 600 yards in the first half. So Clay Helen screwed up making Jack fourth strength. <laughs> oh, the Jack Sears. The Jack Sears. <laughs> I, I just loved going through those calls and how the beginning it was just the world is ending. And very much when, when we talked about it in the car cast, when Bayless Jones fumbled, I thought that the was the season was right there. I, I thought that yeah. was the season more so than JT going down. Yeah. Uh, it Because it felt like the, the entire universe had opened up and swallowed USC football whole. And then all of a sudden from that point on, SC was pretty damn good. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean my rewatch on, on the Patreon, uh, I broke it up into, into three segments. The first segment was the bad USC segment where it, it's from the start of the game to the Bayless Jones fumble. And that whole section of it was very typical USC that we've seen over and over and over again. And then the whole la the final three fourths of that game were just a revelation. And you, you hear that in the rant line that, that you can just hear it in people's voices, the, the happiness, the joy, the excitement that's out there. My favorite line, my favorite line in that whole thing is that it takes a big man to admit when you were wrong and I'm six foot eight. <laughs> so like, oh yeah, yeah. And, and that's the, the fun thing too is, um, I think Saman Jabari, our buddy over at THT, uh, he tweeted like, man, I love being wrong. And that's exactly how I feel. Like I love being wrong. I picked USC to lose this game and I was wrong and it's glorious to be wrong. I, I just want to say that. Yeah, I know. Who, who who was right here? Someone was right. Someone who, who who said SC would win this game uh by double digits and that SC was going to throw the ball around because they they should trust in the def the offense and who who was that person? It was me. It was you. It was me. It was yes. you. Yes. I I had the faith. I and the and faith. I know that you wanted to even give a bigger prediction than you did. My original prediction was going to be way more lopsided yeah. than the than the 30 uh the 3120 th that I gave. We're going to talk about the predictions later, but I my original prediction was going to be much more lopsided than that 
I talked myself out of it because I'm like, you're, you're gonna sound like a crazy person. <laughs> yeah. Sh- the, my, I, I should have done it. I should have done it. You could you could have been in Michael I, Schill I think territory. 38-17 was gonna be my prediction. Yeah, which which would have been pretty SC close. SC exceeded that. Yeah. So yeah. What 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 can you say? Uh, you mentioned the rewatch. You can always listen to the rewatch over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. We've got a rewatch there. Uh, there's Inside the Scrums, where you get to hear from USC's players after practice and after games. Daily car cast for practices on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. So much stuff, so much, so many bonus episodes, a weekly Q&A episode that we drop uh, every Friday. So many things. Help support the show. Get the bonus episodes, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy for as little as five fifty five per month. Yeah, I mean, we're putting out pretty much, I think it's pretty much daily at this stage. Um, I want to say that last week we had like 10 podcasts for, for a game week or something like that. Yeah, I, I, I think that last week, the well, no, I, I did put up an episode on Thursday because we had an Inside the Scrum on Thursday. So literally there's the, there's something new every day. And, uh, you know, we're just getting deep. And, and, and like... Isn't now the time to join, Michael? Isn't now the time to join because it's not soul-sucking? Because I know that that as an avid podcast listener, um, as, a, as a subscriber to other sports sort of podcasts, I know that I am so much more excited to listen to those when good things are happening to my teams. Like yeah. when Liverpool wins, the, I'm refreshing wanting to see all of the content that I can get from the, the Liverpool podcast that I subscribe to. So and when Liverpool is losing and when things are going bad, I am like, oh, I guess I got to listen to this. So now is the time. Now is the time to jump on board with all the bonus content, because I can tell you the rewatch, the rewatch is, you know, an hour and and 15 minutes of me sort of bouncing in my chair going like, isn't this great? Oh, isn't this? Oh, my gosh, guys, this is great. So, you know, that's a lot more fun than like, oh, this is awful. Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, Patreon.com slash Ren of Troy, again, is where you can subscribe for as little as five fifty five per month. Other podcast news to discuss here. Uh, breaking news. We are going to have a meetup in Utah this week for the BYU game. We are going to be at Hoppers again in Midvale, Utah. We went there last year before the USC-Utah game. We're going to do it again Friday night, 6 p.m. Come join us if you are on the road to uh to, to Utah to to watch USC play BYU, uh it's about a half hour north of Provo, but I, I feel like most people are not staying in Provo. Most people we've talked to at least are not staying in Provo, so uh it should be a fun night. Six p.m. Midvale, Utah at Hopper's Bar and Grill. Yeah, it was uh, super fun to get to meet some of the local Trojans out there. Uh, last time we were there, so yep. Uh, you know, um, I think Cameron's no longer in Provo, though. So Cameron's in Frisco, Texas. Yeah, now. that's yeah. a bummer. Uh, but hopefully, some you know other or or if Cameron's coming out for the game, then love to see him again. Just calling him out specifically. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we just want to see everybody. We've had some really fun meetups uh, in the past on road trips, and uh, it's a nice chance to just sort of sit down and and you know talk talk football, talk whatever the heck we want to talk about. Yeah, Cameron, and I want to say Jay, is, is that right, from from Utah that we met last year? Yeah. Great time. Uh, come out again. Come meet us. And potentially, we're, we're planning to have some uh, some key guests from our, from our friends at uh, our other podcasts. Hopefully. 
Crossing fingers. Crossing fingers that, that everything comes Wait, together. I, I, I told I told this person good. we're going to have to accuse them of being antisocial if they uh, don't make it out. This is true. This is very uh, true. Yeah. So we'll, 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 we'll see how it goes. But that's one person. One person who is 100% RSVP'd. Kenny from the Travel Age Thursday show is going to yeah. be there. So. Kenny's always fun. Kenny's a blast. So yeah. that, that'll be great. Come out to meet Kenny. Yeah, it, it'll be it'll be a grand old time. But uh, we're going to take a quick break, get in the news and talk about our thoughts after watching the game over again up next. here with a 45-20 win over the Stanford Cardinal, who were previously ranked number 23. The Trojans have moved themselves into the AP poll. They are now number 24. USC, number next to their name. Your thoughts? Yeah, well, it's good to be ranked, and honestly, I wasn't necessarily surprised about it. I wasn't, I was surprised about it. You had said to me after the car cast, like, hey, tomorrow morning, make sure that we have something ready for the AP poll coming out. And I thought to myself, like, really? Isn't, isn't that like an overreaction? And then the more I thought about it, the more I thought, no, of course USC is going to be ranked. They beat a ranked team. They're 2-0. and And there's nothing that moves the needle for voters quite like a young up-and-coming quarterback. Having your quarterback position settled, it, it, pretty much nothing else matters except that Keaton Slovis had an amazing debut and that will warrant being in the top 25 more so than being 2-0, uh, more so than that. Even though when USC starts a season 2-0, generally they're, they're going to end up ranked. Uh, but it, uh, to me, that ranking is really about some newfound confidence in what USC has going forward behind center. Yeah, and literally while we were talking right here, we just got an email. Uh, Keaton Slovis, Pac-12 Player of the Week according to the Rose Bowl game. Yeah, that's not surprising at all. The the Pac-12 will put out their official player of the week uh, uh, picks on Tuesday. And at the very, very, very least, Keaton Slovis will be the freshman of the week. I wouldn't be surprised at all if he's the offensive player of the week for the Pac-12. I haven't looked at what other Pac-12 individuals did, but I can't imagine they had a more impressive uh, week than, than Keaton Slovis. Certainly not the headline grabbing week. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a little bit of uh, Elijah Griffin in the defensive player of the week, uh, or maybe because I think he he wouldn't qualify as freshman of the week. Now that I think about it, because he's a sophomore, he's a, he's a sophomore. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was trying. I was I was getting mixed up with Isaac Taylor Stewart, who's the red shirt red shirt freshman. But uh, Elijah Griffin might be in in the running. I think at the very least we'll see an, uh, a a nomination for Elijah Griffin as defensive player of the week. Uh, I think if he had if he had ended up with an interception, he probably is more likely to get that nod. But Elijah Griffin on the rewatch had a hell of a game even better than I even ori- originally noticed just from watching him and then seeing seeing the stat sheet as well. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up OG because I want to use this as a perfect segue to talk about the rewatch and our thoughts and looking back at this game and I want to give so much credit to Elijah Griffin for turning this game on its head because you know we we talk about the 42 to 3 run that USC has but I think that the most important part of that run is that it was 42-6. to six Because the Velas-Jones fumble happens, and SC forces a stop and forces Stanford to kick a field goal with Jet Toner, strictly because of Elijah Griffin. He's tasked with covering Colby Parkinson, a guy who has like 12 feet on him, 
and he still makes a hell of a play with a pass breakup right there in the end zone. I originally didn't think it was going to be a touchdown anyways, but no, Colby Parkinson's feet were in bounds. If Elijah Griffin doesn't get his hands on that and Parkinson brings it down, it is a touchdown and it is 21-3 that Stanford leads in this game. And sure, I think SC could have come back given the way that the offense kind of rallied around everything, but at 21-3, to they might give up. They might mentally check out, but what happens is Elijah Griffin gets the stop there. Uh, they force a, a, a field goal. The offense has one drive in which they completely click, and then SC feels good about it themselves because they're only down seven at that point. Yeah, I mean, uh, OG was uh, instrumental. OG is single-handedly, and, and it's not often that you see a player single-handedly spark uh, like that, certainly at defense, but OG single-handedly sparks USC. Two of the three plays in that drive after the after the fumble go to Elijah Griffin in a complete mismatch with Kobe Parkinson. That is not supposed to happen. Elijah Griffin told us after the game that the plan was to not have him have to go in that matchup, and he ended up there because they weren't able to substitute, and he just had to roll with it. And he impressed himself. He said that's something that's a that's something I didn't realize I could do. And yet he goes out there and, and does it on two of the three two of the three plays. Davis Mills makes the right decision to go challenge the one on one matchup there, which you like if you're that quarterback. You put the ball up there, and the DB just makes the play twice, and it it, it saves USC. It literally saves USC. Uh, it certainly saves Bayless Jones's bacon because they force the field goal, and you get you know get out of there, but. Elijah Griffin was spectacular. And the thing about Elijah Griffin that I want to point out here is that you look at the stat sheet and you recognize he has four pass breakups in this game. All four of them are great, great, great plays. You got the two in the end zone. You got one over later on in the game on that outstretched, the the one that Michael and I disagree on about whether or not he actually got a hand on the I ball. I really don't think he got a hand on the ball, but... I- even if he doesn't, his hand is in position to break up the pass because he puts Braden Fajoko's hands in a... In, it ends up... Fajoko has to adjust to the fact that the yes. DB's getting his hand up there. Right, and, which makes it impossible to, to bring in the ball. Yeah. The other thing I want to mention about OG's performance is that it wasn't just those spectacular moments. It wasn't just the he's being an semi athlete. Semi-Fajoko, by the way, not Sem- Braden. Yeah, Braden, Braden Fajoko is a little bit bigger than Semi. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> um, because Semi is Semi's, uh, half of Fajoko. Yeah, half of Fajoko, exactly. Um, but Elijah Griffin wasn't just those spectacular plays, those spectacular pass breakups. On my rewatch, I counted no less than three really key run stuffs uh, from Elijah Griffin um, going up again, you know, taking down Cameron Scarlett for just a couple of yards in run support. Uh, He had a a really big stop on the fullback on a little swing pass on the outside for a short gain that that I think forced them into a, a, a fourth down or a third down situation. So Elijah Griffin was doing the things that he needed to do in pass defense, but he was also a huge support out on the edges, which is something that you wanted to see from USC's DBs in this game because in the in, against Fresno State, USC's outside contain was not yet. Yeah. And Elijah Griffin specifically in that game last week, Elijah Griffin, I remember noting on a couple of different occasions, man, OG's do, OG is doing a really good job of shedding his block. OG is being physical and he's saying, get out of my way. I'm going after the guy. And then he went and missed tackles. Like It's like, OG, you, you did A right. Now go do B right. And that's what he did in this game. He, everything clicked for him. And it was a a, a three-dimensional performance from him, which to see from a young player like Elijah Griffin, to see that from him is so, so, so very encouraging. 
Especially because this is the secondary full of young players. This is the secondary in which I, I think that if any part of the defense, you're, you're, you're more f- allowing yourself to be ready for freshman mistakes, youngster mistakes. And Elijah Griffin's not a freshman, but he's a sophomore. He's someone who doesn't have that much experience, right? And you're expecting these big-time performances on defense out of Talanoa Hufanga, out of Palie Naoteote, out of uh, Jay Tufele and Christian Rector and all those guys in, in the front seven that you expect to lead this team. And we haven't seen it out of Naoteote yet. He, he hasn't. He, he's had two games in which he's really struggled. Hufanga's had his moments. Tufele's had his moments. Rector's had his moments. But to have Elijah Griffin, someone who is not expected to be an absolute defensive leader on this team because of his inexperience and because of how good the front seven is, you know, talent wise and experience wise is huge. You need those guys to step up in areas in which you're not banking on them. And that makes this defense so much easier to trust. I think because one of the reasons that I expected that this game wasn't going to be so low scoring, like everyone said was because if you were Stanford, you were going to want to throw you were going to want to test USC's corners because you weren't going to want to run up the middle because you weren't going to get anywhere. You were going to want to test ITS. You you were going to want to test Elijah Griffin and Chris Steele because those guys were probably going to be the most susceptible to getting beat. But that's not what happened in this game. Stanford moved the ball based on taking advantage of, of USC with things with misdirection uh, they used misdirection in an interesting way with like slip screens taking advantage of USC's aggression that way and which was I think a, a great move in hindsight especially when Davis Mills could not throw a pass past like 10 yards to save his life in this game but still a hell of a performance from Elijah Griffin to kind of carry that defense when you you wouldn't have expected it uh in this kind of fashion yeah, certainly not in this game, especially if, if you had told me before the game, Elijah Griffin's going to get matched up with Colby Parkinson at any point in this game. What's going to happen? I would have told you, man, just that it's over. Col- Colby's getting that touchdown. And that's that's not what happened. And huge, huge credit to Elijah Griffin and huge credit to USC's entire secondary because this was a dangerous outing for them. Uh, I think they I think I mentioned in the preview podcast that they got a little bit lucky that KJ Costello wasn't going to be out there because that certainly lowered the the level of difficulty. But this was still going to be a Stanford team that was trying going to try to target their receivers downfield because that's their strength. You know, Connor Weddington, Kobe Parkinson, uh, Sammy Fajoko, all of those guys can be down dangerous downfield receivers. And they didn't have a ton of success. They did. They did have a few moments. You know, Colby Parkinson makes a hell of a catch over uh, Isaiah. Pol- I mean, sorry, over Talano Hafanga a couple times. Um, there's a there's a play that uh, ITS gives up where I still don't. I still can't quite figure out what happened. It's it, like I, I put on Twitter that I didn't know what happened when it, when it happened in the moment. I'm like, what was ITS doing? And then we in the rewatch, we both came to basically the same conclusion. It, it's a video game where either the controller gets unplugged or you accidentally switch to the wrong player. Yeah. Because right at the end, when ITS is supposed to make a play on the ball, or at least make a play on Connor Weddington... He just freezes. Yeah, he doesn't... He's not able to make the play, and it was it was kind of weird looking. Uh, very, very video gamey. Yeah, I mean, that's the only... That's really the only way to, to describe it, but... At the same time, like in a video game, we're always talking about how in video games, life is not like a video game. You don't get experience points that you then get to spend and guarantee your progress. 
But the nice thing about this performance from USC secondary in general was that it felt like they had spent their experience points from week one in week two. Wait, does XP stand for experience points? Yes. Are you just figuring this out? Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, experience points. XP. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, well, the USC spent... Th- Today I learned. Today, yeah. The USC spent their experience points uh, from week one into week two, and you see the investment pay off. Now, the one thing that I will caution about, and I'm going to caution this as we're talking about the defense, I'm going to caution this as we're talking about the offense, I'm going to caution this a lot in this episode. The growing pains will be there. You will not get... Th- Elijah Griffin is uh, an up-and-down player, and you see this was his Superman moment, this was his high. You're going to see Elijah Griffin have dips you're going to see the inexperience in the secondary get exploited by someone as as the season goes forward you're going to see that happen with the quarterback you're going to see that with with the offensive line you're going to see that with the defensive line you're going to see that where you're going to have the growing pains that this team it was necessarily going to have to go through uh those are going to come around so you can't necessarily bank on this being the performance you get every week but the fact that you get this performance tells you they're capable of this performance and so long as they continue to stay focused, so long as they can stay committed to, uh, to to preparing as well as they can, then this is what you can hope to get uh, week in and week out, even if you can't guarantee it. Yeah, that's a super nice way of putting it, I would think. Uh, let's, let's switch over to the offense. I want to talk about Keaton Slovis. Uh, you and I talked about it after the game on Saturday night. I really liked the back shoulder pass to Michael Pittman. And really, there's three... Three passes that, you know, wowed people. The one to Michael Pittman, one to Tyler Vons, and one to Amon Ross St. Brown, which is interesting that it kind of worked out that way. But I want to talk about those three passes. So it's a back shoulder pass to Michael Pittman in the third quarter, a back shoulder pass to Tyler Vons in the second quarter, and then the rainbow perfect bomb pass to Amon Ross St. Brown in the second quarter as well that went for a touchdown, 39 yards. In the moment, I would rank those as Pittman. The pass Pittman was number one, Amonra was number two, and then the pass Tyler Vaughn's number three. I feel like doing the rewatch, I immediately was just constantly shuffling those back and forth. At one point, I'm like, no, the pass to Tyler Vaughn's was the best one. And then you get to the pass against Amonra St. Brown, and I, it's like dark magic watching <laughs> that play because. I, I watched it in real time, and where the press box is, it's it's in that closer to that end zone now, and it felt like forever for the ball to come down, and I kept waiting for the safety to make a play or something, and you watch the replay. No, the, the ball could not have been put in a better spot. It, it's like it falls out of the sky with like some sort of magnetic pull from Amara St. Brown's like breadbasket area, his hands, his, his stomach, it gets pulled right into him. Because if it's a, if it's a couple feet longer, it's 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 potentially picked off, or Amonra's getting murdered, like like Keaton Slovis pointed out in in the post game presser. If it's short, it, it's deflected by the corner. Like there, it needs to be in the perfect spot. The window is incredibly small, which is saying something given how he just had to lob this up. It's not like there was a window present at that moment when he tossed it, and he was able to just somehow. Put it in the right spot. Amon Ra read the thing perfectly, got to the right location, tracked it well. It is incredible. Up there with the Darnold pass for me in the Rose Bowl. In just like, how? How did this happen? 
uh, to throw into double coverage like that and have it work out. Yeah, the the time it's the timing the the timing on multiple dimensions of Amon. This is okay. This is the physics of football that that like astounds me when you just think about. Think about the the trajectories and all the mathematics and everything that goes into just completing a simple pass. It's incredible that the human mind is able to like subconsciously calculate the power that you need in your arm and Isn't all that these weird. Like, like when you think when you break it down into like the numbers, the yeah. math, it's incredible just to complete a simple pass. But then you up the ante to complete all the that pass. You're going longer. You're going higher. You're then dealing with with the uh, tr- the path of the wide receiver you're dealing with the path of the dbs like everything in the go- all the math that goes into that that's all subconscious and just all muscle memory is absolutely insane and th- the way it drops in i like the way you describe it but like to me i just every time i watched that replay which i rewound it like 15 times Every time I rewatched it, it was just like this is like in Star Wars when Luke hits the the shot that kills the death the Death Star, and it just sort of like. Whoop. Spoiler alert! Some people haven't seen Star <laughs> Trek. <Jeez. laughs> yeah, that's a you problem. Uh, it just it just sort of like it's like use the Force, Keaton. Like it just it's a it's it's a it's fantastic. But like you said, that throw is fantastic. But I feel like that kind of thing. There's like a certain amount of luck that goes into it because like Keaton Slovis, when he's throwing that ball, isn't thinking like the timing of this is going to fit right into that window where the DB, sure, the, right. the corner hasn't gotten there and the safety hasn't gotten there and Amonra is going to be in this. Exa- like he's not doing that consciously, right? But when you watch it, it looks like one of those, you know what it was? It was, it was one of those like uh, those GPS guided tomahawk missiles yes that, exactly like the navy has it was a tomahawk, tomahawk missile yes <laughs> but that's what i look to me the tyler vaughn's throw the tyler vaughn's throw on the sideline back shoulder to me was the most impressive throw he made be in part because that's throwing against pulse and adebo so yeah. you're throwing that pass knowing that pulse and adebo is one of the best dbs in the country and if you get this wrong, Paul Sanadibo is going to make you pay because he's that good. Well, it was the most dangerous pass in in the sense that it's going up against Paul Sanadibo. Yeah. But it was also the most, the, the safest of all those three passes, right? Yes. Because it was it had the least chance of being picked off because of where he put it. Yes. He puts it in a way where it's high and outside. Only Tyler Vons could get it. Yes. And, and he knows that Tyler Vons can go up and climb the ladder and get those catches. Tyler Vons is great at making those catches. Don't have him catch the slant on third down. That's yeah. a different story. But like Tyler Vons is great at that. And he knows that. And he puts it in a spot that's not where Paulson Debo is. Cannot get picked. Whereas the pass to, to Michael Pittman, if he's not getting face guarded, maybe the DB turns around and picks it off. Yeah. Uh, the, the touchdown pass. Yeah. If a split second off. And that's potentially picked off by one of two dudes. Well, it all where, comes down to his accuracy, right? Like right, if, yeah, if you sure. if you place this accurately, only your receiver can get it. And Keaton Slovis places it accurately, and that he can do those passes accurately. When when Graham Harrell said in fall camp he makes throws that other people can't make, people scoffed at it. But that is what Graham Harrell was talking about: being able to deliver those accurately with pace, with touch, and give your receiver the chance to go and make that play. Just outstanding, outstanding, outstanding work from Keaton Slovis, who the big question for Keaton Slovis, I think I think Clay Hilton mentioned this. They knew he had the talent. They knew he had the arm talent. They never doubted this. What they needed to see from him was how do you respond when you put when when you're thrown into action like this and you're facing live bullets like Clay Hilton likes to always say, how do you respond? And Keaton Slovis 
was literally flawless, like flawless. He had, what was it? So he has five incompletions. I think I can name most of the incompletions off the top of my head. One is an incompletion to Amon Ross St. Brown, where Amon Ross St. Brown gets blocked off going out outside near the end, near the goal line. Yeah, the, you have uh, the the pass in the end zone on that first drive that Tyler Vaughn's drops would yes. have been a touchdown. Yes. Um, there is a uh, another one, I think, in Michael Pittman's direction where it seems... So th- there are two to me where it looks like there's just... Uh, miscommunication or mistiming or something like that. One to Amon Ross St. Brown, one to Michael Pittman. Super early in the game. Yeah. So Tyler Vaughn's drops the first pass in the end zone, which is worse, which is a worse drop than the second drop that Tyler Vaughn's has. That is, I think Keaton maybe puts it a little bit too far inside there, makes it really tough for Tyler. Tyler should still catch it. Adobo's on him. Adobo's on him. Uh, Adebo. Uh, Adebo. Adebo. Adebo is on Adobo's him. Adobo's a good seasoning. Yeah. Adebo does a good job of, of uh, disrupting the pass. Tyler Vaughn should still catch it, but that's a really high difficulty throw. So that's four of the five that I can already identify that I don't think the quarterback was necessarily the problem. Uh, the, the one the one to Tyler Vaughn's, he puts it in his range, in his catch radius. You could make it easier if you're the quarterback, but I don't, I'm not going to get on you too much. I don't remember the, the, the fifth incompletion, but that's it. Well, the, the, I want to talk about the pass to, to Josh Follow, in which he takes. Oh, that, that's the fifth incompletion. Yeah, in which he takes the risk because you and I talked about this. This is just a great play all around, and that it's great from Tyler Vaughn to recognize that. I, I want to say it was it was Drew Richmond that misses his block, and so he has to yes. get out of the pocket, scramble to the right. He notices he's got Follow on the seam, tosses it. Great recognition. It's great a running. To, it's a running throw, by the way. Too. He, he steps up into the pocket. At first, I thought he went beyond the line of scrimmage. Yeah. We had to back it up and make sure that he didn't. He was still right behind the line of scrimmage, but he moves up in the pocket, changes the launch point, finds his man, tosses it to him. Could have put more umph out of it uh, on it, and if he throws it a yard longer, uh, Josh Follow catches it in in stride. Probably doesn't score because you know also Debo's a little bit faster than him. Yeah. But. It ends up being a hell of a play from Paulson Adebo, and that's going to happen when you have a corner who's one of the best in the country who could probably be on an NFL roster right now. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's the thing is that we've now named all five of the incompletions that Keaton Slovis had in this game. What was your favorite? My favorite incompletion was the Josh Follow one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because I loved everything else that I saw from Keaton in that play. The way that Keaton moves in the pocket, the way that he navigates the fact that a pass rush is coming, the way that he gets that ball off before the line of scrimmage, the way that he recognizes it and tries it. And it's not an it's a very, very difficult throw to make on the run. And you know what? It's not perfectly executed. Moving to his right too. moving to his right. Yeah. But that's he still gave his receiver. He still gave his tight end a chance to go up and get it. And I liked the play like I want him. I want him to feel confident enough to try that even if it doesn't come off. Yeah, and that easily very well could have been picked. Yes. If, it, if it was a hair shorter, uh, maybe Adebo makes a play and t- by jumping up there and snatching it. But I don't think that that would have been one where you would have just felt gross about. Because yeah. you look at Sam Darnold when he played Stanford two years ago. He had an interception that was very similar. Uh, same part of the field, too. Um, in which he moves out of the pocket, he extends the play, and he ends up just short-arming the ball. Slovis didn't short arm that thing, but he easily could have. Yeah. And that would have been that would have resulted in it getting picked. But you still like what you see from him. And so when you were talking about his throwing, all his 28 other passes that he completes are all perfectly accurate. Uh, he doesn't he, he he gives the the some of his receivers some 
high difficulty like the the back shoulder passes, but not impossible uh, catches to make. Tyler Vons makes a really great catch on that back shoulder, but he's given the opportunity, right? So you have 33 attempts from Keaton Slovis. He drops. So let's say he drops back to pass probably 35, 36 times. He takes off and runs a couple of times. Gets what he gets. What he can navigates the he pocket. Gets sacked once. He gets sacked once, but it's not like the, he didn't hold the ball too long on that sack. That was just a breakdown on the offensive line. Coincidentally, right after that Josh Follow um, uh, miss that he had. And then he goes out and and completes the 28 passes that he does. He hits three touchdowns. It was literally a flawless performance. Flawless. There was not a single play where Keaton Slovis was bad in this game. Now, having said that, what we can look at what Keaton Slovis did in this game and give him all the praise you can give him. The caution I'm going to I'm going to put out there because I know that we're already crowning him a Heisman winner. Keaton Slovis will not be flawless on Saturday against BYU. I guarantee you that. Or these next four games, period. Or these I mean, next four we, games. We talked about in the card cast. It's, if, you, if you want him to go over 200 yeah. on, on a passer rating again, you're going to bet on it. The Arizona game is the one to do it. Yes. So Keaton Slovis, you have to accept that this is the best Keaton Slovis is going to be for the next month. Easily, right? But if this is his ceiling, if he drops 25%, he's still at... You know, first team all Pac-12 level like performance pretty, that you're getting out of it. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. Exactly. So I'm I'm so encouraged from Keaton's performance because this was a mature performance. This was uh, showing really great decision making, really great accuracy. He was just feeling it. Now we're gonna see how he responds to different kinds of defenses that challenge him. We're going to see how he responds when something goes wrong for him, when he gets a little bit rattled, when he takes a hit, uh, and we're going to see how he bounces back from that. But in terms of debuts, in terms of first performances, this was utterly spectacular. Against a really soft, like against, a, a you know, we've talked about Stanford may not be a great team, but it's still Stanford. Like, he didn't do this against San Jose State. It's still Stanford, and they still, again, they have Paul Sanadibo. Yes. Like, like we, we can say that Stanford's defense has been shoddy for the last few years, which it has. It's been relying on a brand name that was built years ago, but they still got Paul Sanadibo. He, Keaton Slovis, completed five passes to Tyler Vons for 106 yards and a touchdown, while Tyler Vons was blanketed by Paul Sanadibo the entire game. That's a credit to Tyler Vons. It's also a credit to Keaton Slovis. Because he challenged Paulson Adebo, and it paid off. 100%. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, come right back, talk about the over-under up next. So you're going over. I'm feeling bold. Give me that over. I'll go under. I got to take an under here. I got three unders to take. I'm going to do an under here. All right, Alicia, we enter this week with me having a huge advantage. I was three and three and over under last week. You were two and four. Huge advantage. Huge. I mean, relatively speaking, I mean, I, I think that's like 50% more. Is it though? Three over two? That's like 50% I, more. Yeah. That's... I, I don't think that's math, Michael. <laughs> yeah, it is. I think, whatever. Uh, <laughs> anyways, let, let, let's get to this and talk about the over-under. First one, 0. 0.5 rushing attempts for Marquis Step. You said over. I said over. It was over. 
only because USC blew out this game at the end. He comes in the final drive, rushes three times for 33 yards. His first run was for 20 yards, and as soon as it happened, I thought to myself, like, damn, Marquis Step is good, but also, damn, Marquis Step, I don't want to have this conversation anymore about whether or not Marquis Step should be getting carries in this offense, but Vimalapaya and Stephen Carr are really, really good. Let's not overthink this rotation. Let those guys be there, be, be the dudes that they are. Marquis Step's time will come, but when he comes in with a cameo like that, you remember, like, dude, this this kid is going to be special when he gets his opportunity, when he, he earns makes his opportunity. Drool. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, let's go to the next over-under. I set the line at 342.5 total offensive yards for Stanford's offense. Why? Because in the last three games against USC, they had 342, 343, and 342. So 342.5 seemed like a great place to put the line. You said over, I said over, because we were both thinking... I don't know, maybe like uh, 345? Alicia, they had 335. Which means the last four times USC has played Stanford, they've had within eight yards of total offense. Like That's the range, within eight yards. That's incredible. Also, it's incredible that this performance from this defense was the... The best of those in terms of total yardage. Yeah. (laughs) Which is kind of funny um, because I wouldn't have guessed that uh, just based on watching it. Uh, This was very bend but don't breaky. They were giving up quite a bit of yards, but I guess this comes down to Stanford was playing clock control. They weren't. They They also started with the short field early in the game. A couple times. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they had the kickoff return and the kickoff fumble. John Baxter and and his special teams. You know, they, they took back that long kick and they gave more yards to JT Daniels for him to, to earn on that first di- first drive. Yeah. This time he was clutch, in which he helped the, the total defense stats look a little bit by, better. By giving those yards to yeah. special teams, yes. Yeah, so very altruistic good, good of John guy, Baxter. Good guy, John Baxter. Yeah. Uh, the point is we both get it wrong. So we got the first one right uh, with Marquis Step. We got both got this one wrong. Uh, let's go to the third one. Over or under three and a half pass plays of 20 plus yards for Stanford. They averaged four last year. USC gave up four versus Fresno State. You said over. I said over. It was under. Colby Parkinson had a catch for 21 yards. Connor Weddington for 25, but that was the only two. And to me, this goes back to Davis Mills looked terrible. Yep. I, I, I wanted to ask you, where would you rank him in that list of Stanford quarterbacks that are just meh, your your Josh Nunez, your Ryan Burns, your Keller Christ, your 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 Davis Mills, all of them seem like the same dude to me. Yeah, but I would all of them. I I would probably put Davis Mills down there with Josh Nunez, like because Ryan Burns at yeah. least had a couple moments where I thought, okay, he's he's doing okay. And like Keller Chris Keller did Chris some things was in the okay. pocket. I thought that he had some poise, but yeah, no, I I thought Davis Mills really missed. So this is this is an interesting uh, over under to to consider. On the one hand, USC holding Stanford to two, and both of them, one was Kobe Parkinson making a, a, a well, actually the twenty one yard path from Kobe Parkinson was him beating Greg Johnson who slips. Uh, so that was on a third down. So that's not great. The Connor Weddington one is the ITS one, right? Where ITS just has his glitch. So all in all, if those are the only two 20 plus yard plays that you're giving up to Stanford, you got to feel pretty good. But 
I would love to know what this looks like if if KJ Costello is the one throwing the ball, because there were at least two that I can remember passes where it just felt like Davis Mills was inaccurate downfield. And because he had open dudes. Yeah, well, Greg Johnson got beat several times in this game and they were kind of picking on Greg Johnson, but Davis Mills couldn't connect. So uh, and Elijah Griffin, I think, had one where the where the receiver had to step on him, too. So this could have looked very different, but you can only play the guys that are in front of you. So USC secondary gets out of there with uh, with what turns out to be quite a good performance in terms of these long pass plays. Yeah, it's it's like playing Jackbox. You you can have a good rhyme on Madverse, but it's only as good as the other rhyme you're you're, you're facing against. There you go, exactly. For like three people who will get that, you know reference. what Jackbox is, yeah. Yeah, uh, let's go to the next one. Over under twenty two and a half touches for Vivai Malapai. You said under, I said under. It was way under at fourteen, but I have no complaints there. I I, I don't know. I don't know that you wanted him to touch the ball more because that would have meant meant less passes from Keaton Slovis, and that's what was working. I like the way this offense operates. They don't force anything. And I have spent two years screaming, run the damn ball at USC, but you didn't need to run the damn ball in this game. USC ran the ball as often as they needed to run it. In fact, there were a couple uh, handoffs where I thought that they made a mistake handing the ball off, that that it was clear that Stanford was sending a blitz and USC was trying to run against a numbers advantage they didn't have and uh, probably would have been better off with a quick pass instead. So, Again, I, I like the way this works out. You know, run when Stanford asks you to run, uh, pass when Stanford asks you to pass. And it was interesting because Stanford wasn't exactly loading the box. Stanford was definitely playing coverage, but it didn't matter because USC's, USC had answers to all of the coverage that Stanford had out there. So keep passing the ball. Yeah, and that absolutely worked for, for what USC was doing. Uh, let's go to the next one. You said over under two and a half sacks for USC. Stanford averaged allowing 1.85 in 2018 and gave up just one in week one. You said under, I said over, it was over at three. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a good job by USC too because they got sacks from different points of the field. Jay Tufele has a sack, Connor Murphy has a sack. There's a combo sack from Hunter Eccles and uh, who am I leaving out here? Hunter Eccles and, and Caleb Tremblay. Caleb Tremblay came in late in the second half in this game. I thought he looked really good. was excellent. I like the moves that he puts on out it, on that outside. It was to the outside. point I'm like, wait, who's 96? Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I had, to, I had to look that up again. Yeah, no, I was very encouraged by Caleb Tremblay's uh, performance out there because he had to come in because Christian Rector had a little bit of a ankle niggle uh, that, that that he came out on. And Caleb Tremblay looked looked quite good out there uh working against the against the right tackle so um very encouraging from usc to get three sacks in this game uh the the way that they did yeah definitely something to be encouraged of let's go to the next one i said over under three and a half receptions for stanford tight end colby parkinson he had two against usc last year averaged 2.4 per game last year but had four in week one against northwestern you said over i said over Definitely wasn't over. Seven for 89. He was pretty much their offense. They were going to go to him uh, on, you know, curls, on slants, on corner routes, on out routes. They were going to find a way to go to him. The one interception that Davis Mills throws is a forced pass to Colby Parkinson because he was going to be the safety blanket. It was either throwing to him or finding guys on screens. That's all Stanford's game plan was in this game. So you and I both get the over there. 
Yeah, I thought Colby Parkinson looks like the the weapon that I thought he would look like. And yet, weirdly, even though he had seven catches in this game, I thought USC did a pretty good job of defending him. Yep, I, uh, I, I thought so too. Uh, let's go to L.A. Fred, who gave us three over-unders. First one, 43.5-yard punting average for Ben Griffiths. My God, Ben Griffiths. Yeah, you said over, I said over. It was under 42 yards per punt was his average on two punts. So very close to being over. He had a 51-yard punt. So there's, Which they there's only announced as 48 in the press box. Yeah. So I, I feel bad because I, I, I tweeted career-long 48-yard punt, and it yeah. was really 51, but yeah. whatever. Uh, we, we both uh, get that wrong. Ben, ben Griffiths will one day be unshackled, and then you'll see, but that is not today. <laughs> mm-hmm. We will see. Uh, let's go to the next one. One and a half penalties on special teams plays. You said under. I took the over. I don't know why I would have taken the over because I definitely should have said under. It was under. It was zero. Yeah, that's not to say the special teams didn't have uh, miscues. There were several miscues, but penalties, I just sort of figured there would probably be one and uh, and it turned out there were none. Yep. Uh, last one from Fred. 30.5 pass attempts by Keaton Slovis. You said over. I said over. It was definitely over at 33. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it was a situation where I thought that uh, that USC was going to pass the ball because they were going to run their offense the way they're going to run it. And that means passing. Yes, indeed. Uh, put it all together. You went five and four for the week. I went five and four, which means I maintain a one game advantage. I'm eight and seven through two weeks. You are seven and eight. But Alicia, that's not it for over under. Our buddy Steve in Northridge, who we've met in the press box, he gave us a sheet of paper in which he wrote down the over unders for that week. And uh, he tracked it himself. He went three of three. Yeah, three of three is good. I mean, that's, that's generally the way we go on these over unders. So 500 is good. Yeah, th- definitely, uh, especially when some of these were difficult, like the 342.5 Yeah, so many uh, of them were close this offense. week. Yeah, super, 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 super close. So could have gone either way. Let's talk about the Rod Index. We said if USC scores 32 points, they will win. They scored 32 and they won. Uh, we said if USC holds Stanford to 16, they'll win. Uh, Stanford scored 20. Uh, game predictions, Bill Connolly had USC winning 27-23 with a 4.2 margin of victory according to the numbers. Vegas had SC by 1. You said Stanford 21, USC 19. I said USC 31, Stanford 20. I did not get this right because (laughs) USC won 45-20, but for a good long period there in the second half, I thought I nailed it on the nose. If USC had done the USC kind of thing, where they went up 31-20 and took their foot off the gas and then the defense came up with an opportunistic interception the way they did and it just like the second half was a wash, which we've seen, uh, then you would have been right. But, you know, USC's, for instance, like I was pretty close on how many points Stanford would score, but I wasn't right that USC would actually go out and I score I was literally 45. right. I you said 20 right. and they yeah. got 20. You said yeah. 21. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about the pick'em. Uh, good week for you and I. Both of us went nineteen and six. You are now tied for fifth in the league with a thirty-six and twelve record. Yeah. 
I am 31 and 17, which puts me at 44, which really upsets me because I still go back to those four games in which I didn't have a pick registered could have completely screwed me up. Yeah, when I when I look at my 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 numbers here, I just keep thinking of, the, of our of our drop. In the grand scheme of things, it's really not that bad. Yeah, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. I was I was pretty good last week, nineteen and six, as were you. Uh, but the best person, uh, the two people that that just kicked ass, scantily clad peristyle, which is a hell of a perfect, beautiful name. Beautiful name. Well done. It is so good. So good. 21 and 4, which is amazing for picks against the spread, along with Savios, 21 and 4. Two great performances. But I think the, the thing to mention here, not only is Scantily Clad Peristyle an amazing name, but Scantily Clad Peristyle now has won back to back weeks. Back to back weeks, the first two weeks, and is 40 and 8. Pretty incredible against the spread. Sounds to me like scantily clad peristyle is just just on it. The peristyle is winning everything. Yeah, I, that's what happens when, when it's scantily clad, for sure. Yep. So, that's it. Uh, anyways, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come right back and open up the mailbag. You've got mail. All right, Alicia, let's start with a tech message we got from Greg in Woodland Hills. I have given him flag for losses. It's only fair. I praise him for wins. Great job by Clay Helton. The team looked prepared and played fast after a rocky start. Yeah, that's totally fair. That's the way that it's the way that we should all view these things. Like, A, it's okay to be wrong. In fact, in this particular case, I'm super glad that I'm wrong. B, let's just all be fair. It doesn't all have to be terrible. It doesn't all have to be everybody's fault, this person's fault, that person's fault. When people do well, let's praise them. When people do poorly, let's criticize them. We can all be reasonable here. And that text from Greg is is exactly what I want to hear from people. Yeah. And the other thing is, and, and I think this is what hangs up people, giving Clay Helton praise for this game and giving Graham Harold praise for this game doesn't mean that you're endorsing him as a long-term option. Exactly. So... Or that you're giving him a pass for all of the ways that he right. didn't wasn't on top of things in the past. Yeah, it, it does. It's life is gray. It's complex. So yes. uh, so a complex uh, answer like that is spot on. So good 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 message from Greg. Let's go to another one from a Rotbot in the six one nine. Who I'm gonna just guess this was Reggie Bush. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. It, it has to be. Who says, can you check the math? Did Slovis put up the greatest game by a true freshman in his first start in USC history? We have checked the math. The answer is yes. Uh, this is according to USC's BYU Game Notes, which released on Sunday. True freshman quarterback Keaton Slovis leads the nation in completion percentage with 82.9% and had a spectacular debut last week, filling in for injured quarterback JT Daniels, Throwing for more yards, 377, touchdowns, 3, and completions, 28, and completing a higher percentage of its passes, 84.8%, than any other first-year freshman in his unveiling. Basically, in his first start, because he did debut against Fresno State, but in his first start. Pretty freaking historic. That is very, very, very good. And like I said... It was a flawless performance from Keen Slovis against a ranked team. Give him credit for that. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, let's go to a voicemail we got from Tim. 
This is Tim from Alhambra. Two uh, two questions. The first is, I, I I think you know everyone's been negative for so long, me included, and now that we've got something to really be excited about, um, I thought about asking a question more on um, on the positive side of things. So, assuming the best case scenario, which just if the offense keeps getting better at, at the pace it's going, um, I think this is a possibility. How big or small a possibility, you know, obviously is up for debate, but. If the Trojans go undefeated, what's the highest that they could be ranked by the end of the end of the season? It's just been a while since I thought that was even a possibility. So uh, I'd like to get your take on it. And um, and secondly, another question is: uh, aside from DVR, what is the best way to rewatch Trojan games? What I've been doing is, you know, some will post the game on YouTube, and it'll stay up for a day or two uh, after the game, and then it gets taken down. But um, yeah, aside from DVR, I don't know how what the best way to watch those is, and uh, the Pac-12 network is uh, difficult to get on on um, on many platforms. So anyway, yeah, it's a good Monday, really good Monday. Thanks for the call, Tim. Good to hear from you. Uh, the rewatch stuff always gets a little bit tricky, and there is not a single week in which there's not a conversation between you and me, Alicia, that includes, ah, oh, shoot, I didn't record the game, or. How am I going to find this on YouTube? Or is is the feed up on on the Pac-12 network? Is it this? Is it that? It, it's it's never easy. No, it's it's not easy. I personally like watching games, uh, watching things on YouTube because YouTube's navigation is really easy to skip forward and skip back. Um, but that's not always possible. Watch ESPN uh, usually has the replays when the games are up on on ESPN. So that's a good way to rewatch. If you are a fan who just wants to get a feel for the game, who wants to rewatch the big moments uh, and 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 uh, do that. But, you know, for me, I, I need to see every play. I have to go through every play really, uh, really intently for the rewatch. But um, like you can do what my dad does. My dad records the Pac-12 and 60 every week. So if you if you are fortunate enough to have the Pac-12 network um, record a Pac-12 and 60 because the, their cut ups of the game are generally comprehensive. Uh, they will cut out certain segments and that's annoying. But you do get a really nice. Uh, feel for the game that isn't sitting there for three hours, what you know, watching uh, the full replay that you DVR'd on your on your thing. You do have to wait until Sunday night, generally or Monday, when they air that on the Pac-12 Network. But those are a really good resource for fans, I think, and it's the kind of thing that I hope they continue to do because I know that from my dad's perspective, it's really useful. And I think um, for for most fans, it's probably the best way to go if you wanted to do a rewatch yourself. Yeah, I think for sure. It just goes back to what Tim said about. Finding the Pac-12 network. Yeah. Uh, that That is the problem. I like Fubo TV. Uh, it works for me. Um, and I've heard it works for other people. doesn't work for everybody because it doesn't have ESPN. So yeah. if you if you have ESPN and Fubo TV is your your side bay, that that's great. Otherwise, Sling TV is probably the way to go because you can get Fox uh, and or ESPN on there as well. Uh, let's go to Tim's second question, which was talking about how high USC can get ranked uh, if they start 6-0 and or just keep winning. This is entirely dependent on everybody else in the country. If USC goes 6-0, and we talked about it on our preseason roundtable with Kenneth Martin and, and Keely Orr. If USC goes 6-0, and in my opinion, they are 100% going to be a top five team. Where in that top five depends on... Did Clemson lose yet? Did Alabama lose? Did Georgia lose? Did LSU lose? Did Ohio State lose? Did Oklahoma lose? 
who lost, how many of those teams lost, what whatnot, completely depends on that. Because if SC goes undefeated in the whole season, they're they're getting in the playoff, right? Yeah. I, I don't think that I, I think these conversations are, are, are fun, but I don't necessarily think that you end up getting a, a solid answer because at the end of the day, there might be one undefeated team, there might be four. And so it's very difficult to say exactly where USC would be on that pecking order. But the point is, if SC beats Utah, Washington, and Notre Dame, three teams ranked in the top 15, well, no longer for Washington Washington. since since they lost, but three highly respected teams, they're going to soar into the top five, uh, which would be good for USC. But let's not get the cart ahead of the horse here. Can, Can we just talk about how literally a week ago, you and I were sitting in this exact same spot. And and you had told me that we were going to be answering a question about what happens if USC goes undefeated the next week. I would have said, what are people smoking? No, (laughs) the the fact of the matter, like you said, is I don't think Clemson's going to lose a game. So, like, I think USC's ceiling in this magical world where USC goes undefeated is probably behind Clemson, depending on if Alabama, you know, Alabama, Georgia, LSU, they all can't go undefeated. So, you know, that's something to consider. But USC has a lot to prove before we can seriously talk about the what ifs of of going undefeated. Um, the thing I really like about the way the schedule is played out at this stage is that it's ramping up in a really interesting way. You get Fresno State, who's a competitive team, well coached team, that you get out of you, you you get out with a win. You get Stanford, that's a competitive team, a well coached team, but diminished because of the quarterback situation, the left tackle situation, and the questions about their defense. Their, your next challenge is literally the next little next little step up. BYU has proved themselves to be a competitive team. You're going on the road, raising that level of difficulty that little bit more. Then you get the next week where you, you're getting Utah, but you're not getting Utah at Rice-Eccles, so it's not like ramped up to the extreme of impossible of beating them. You're getting Rice-Eccles at home. You're getting uh, Utah at home. So you're. it's literally, this is, a, this, is, this is a staircase that USC is climbing up one step at a time where the, the level of difficulty is rising incrementally, each week until you're going to get to Utah at home. Then you ramp up to Washington on the road. But again, this is a Washington team that is not the juggernaut that, 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 that you could have seen them as in at some point in the past. And then you get up to the top of the mountain, Notre Dame on the road. Like it's a weird steady incline that USC is going up. And that kind of sets up well for this team to grow across the, the first six weeks. It, it does. Uh, Notre Dame plays Georgia in two weeks, so um, we'll know about we'll know more about Notre Dame then. Yeah, uh, but there's a very good chance that Notre Dame is not undefeated then either. So a lot, lot can lot can change. There's there's way too much. We need to see what yeah. USC can do against BYU. Yeah, but let, let's not put the car before the horse because, like I said, as I've as I've cautioned again, like Elijah Griffin and Keaton Slovis put in arguably the best performances they're going to put in all season against Stanford. So you can't bank on them doing that every week. You're going to have to go through some growing pains. And those growing pains might involve looking a little less good against BYU, looking a little less good against Utah. It's about how you respond and whether or not you can continue to play largely mistake-free football. 100%. Uh, Let's take a next call, which goes to Dave in Utah. Hey, Michael and Alicia. This is Dave the Greater from Utah. How about that game against Stanford? Who would have thought that was coming? Not me. Hey, uh, my question for you guys is considering what we saw, we see what the team is capable of, 
what is the likelihood that this continues? Do they go back to their old ways against BYU and, and get crushed by Utah or any of these other schools? Or do you think we're going to have a, a really good competitive season and maybe that 6-0 is actually possible? So I just wanted to get your input on that and see what your thoughts are. In the meantime, fight on, and we will see you guys on Friday at Hoppers in uh, Midville, Utah on uh, 72nd, also known as Fort Union, and 900th East. Look forward to seeing you, and uh, until then, you guys have a good one. Take care. Thanks for the call, Dave the Greater. We are so, 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 so stoked to see Dave the Greater, Dave the Lesser, Dave from Orange County, Dave from Utah. Those are, that's two people, yeah, not, two, not four two, people. Two people, four, four, four names. names. Yes, we're, we're so stoked to see all you guys uh, at the meetup this week uh, there in Utah. And Alicia, we, we mentioned the, the question we got from Tim about the, the possibility of USC being undefeated. And here we go, Dave's question asking about that possibility, too. I think we're going to learn so much in these next two weeks. Yes, the next four weeks are the big deal, but I think the next two weeks are huge because how does SC play against BYU? How do they go on the road? And then how do they respond six days later on a short week against a physical team after two straight physical opponents in Sanford and BYU? And, you know, they're going to be playing Utah, who's coming off of an FCS game next week. So that's going to be very interesting to see how USC combats those two. Yeah, these next two weeks are going to are going to be so, so critical in terms of how we perceive this team. And I think that fans need to prepare themselves for the possibility that USC turns up to BYU. And it's the same old story about what USC looks like on the road. That is entirely possible. I, I think that you can't. Now pull the wool over your eyes and say, oh, Keaton Slovis is the savior and everything's going to be okay. No, this team still has questions to answer for. This defense still has vulnerabilities. The receivers have still made mistakes. The offensive line has plenty still to prove. Zach Wilson still has legs? Uh, I mean, does he? I mean, I think so. I think I I saw a picture of him against Tennessee and he was was upright. Yeah. I mean, BYU has a gorgeous jerseys that might give them oh they're so uh, erotic that might give them like you know the blue chew energy um (laughs) for the thd fans out there Uh, uh, alicia that that not permitted in in utah county oh that actually that's very true very very true so i mean there are so many questions right there there are just too many questions that haven't been answered yet. I think USC gave us a taste of what they could be now we're going to see what they are the truth of what they are which is how do you perform on the road? And like you said, how do you, in a critical, critical, critical Pac-12 South game, how do you respond to, again, Utah's going to punch you in the mouth. Utah's going to punch you in the mouth harder than Stanford is capable of punching you in the mouth. How are you going to respond to that? And I will go back to over and over and over again for me over the next couple of weeks. Can USC limit mistakes? If USC limits mistakes, particularly on offense, they're going to be fine. But it comes down to limiting mistakes because they got away with it in the first quarter against Stanford. They went down for 17 to three and they were able to, to bounce back. You don't want to get into that situation where you're down 17 to three too many more times uh, because you're not going to always be able to play a flawless game for the last three quarters. Absolutely. Uh, let's go to our final email, which comes from Jay in Atlanta. Michael and Alicia, I haven't written in a while. However, I want to present my personal perspective and look forward to hearing your own perspectives. 
My take on current affairs and those of the past several years is as such. There is a considerable difference in regards to programs that are designed and built to achieve greatness and those that are built and play to merely get by, have fun, enjoy the experience, and cater to individual comfort, egotism, and feelings. In all honesty, which type of program do you consider USC is running at this time? Fight on for victory, J in Atlanta. Um, I've said before many, many times, I do not think that Clay Helton is capable of winning a national title at USC, so I'm going to go with the latter. I don't think that it's necessarily that they're, this program is built for comfort or egotism or anything like that. I think this 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 program under Clay Helton is built under the motto of faith family football. And I think that Clay Helton sees his job as much to coach young men as it is to go out there and, you know, win football games. And he will tell you that he wants to win championships, that, that his goal is at USC. But honestly, the more I'm around Clay Helton, the more I think Clay Helton would make a hell of a high school football coach. Because I think Clay Helton's number one priority is the well-being of his players, which I think is a credit to him. But I don't know that he has the killer instinct or the um, the ruthlessness in order to win a national title at USC. So that's the limit that USC is going to be uh, working under. Uh, just my personal opinion on where Clay Helton uh, is coming from. Yeah, with with the evidence we have now, I don't I don't think you can say it's it's the the former there uh, that Jay mentions here. The you know program built designed and, and built to achieve greatness and, and, and whatnot because when when you look at everything USC has put together um, the the Coliseum is put to provide a better experience for fans you don't have to agree with that but that's what they think they're doing right that, that's that's what the Coliseum thinks they're doing that they're putting together a, a better experience for fans and USC is looking at you know finding better revenue streams and all that stuff in terms of the Coliseum. Uh, those are key priorities. And more power to you, it's the business, whatnot, right? But you still got to be able to win games. And I think USC, knowing the tradition that, that the school has, and I've said this for a while, I think they're, they're too comfortable in thinking that tradition will just take care of itself, that that tradition will lead to wins. And it doesn't. It does not. Uh, USC is not just, you know, a, a cookie cutter that is automatically going to produce, you know, great teams. It can because the, there's the ability to get the talent in there and have the talent, you know, lead the way and all that stuff. We, we, we saw that in 2016 when SC wins the Rose Bowl with Sam Darnold and Ronald Jones and Juju Smith-Schuster, Dory Jackson and Chenna Nwosu. So many guys that were on that team. So many talented players. And SC has a lot of talented players now, and they just beat Stanford in a game that looked picturesque, right? All these things that SC is capable of doing, that doesn't mean that they're on the ability or that they have the ability to do it on a week-in and week-out basis and win a national championship until we see it. Until we see them do it. Yeah. Until we see them put it together week-in and week-out. And then we can sit here and say, you know what, Jay? It's... This is a program that's built to achieve greatness. I think they think they are um, because that's what USC has always been. And so the assumption is, well, SC can always win that way. But I don't think it actually is put together like that meticulously for those reasons. 
Yeah, and that's always that's what I come back to is just the the people that are in charge at USC, and I'm not just talking about Clay Hill, and I'm talking about everybody in the upper echelons of of the athletic department. Um, you don't get the Nick Saban vibes from them. You don't get the Pete Carroll vibes from them. And uh, you know, Pete Carroll and Nick Saban are very different personality wise, but they had the same Bill Belichick. You know, the the great coaches, the great managers out there have. Um, the, the plan down to the T. The, the do whatever it takes to win kind of mentality, right? Yeah. That, that Kobe mindset. Yes, exactly. It, ruthlessness. It comes down to ruthlessness. And uh, and I always said Pete Carroll had ruthlessness. And when he, when he faltered in his ruthlessness in 2009 by accepting subpar uh, assistant coaches and not, not um, expecting more out of the, the people in, on his staff and, and the like – that's when USC slipped. So that's what it takes. Yep, yep, yep. You got to see it. You got to see USC put together two straight weeks and then three, four, five, and so on. Uh, the Trojans will play BYU on Saturday afternoon, 12.30 Pacific, 1.30 local time in Provo at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. We'll be there. We'll, we're super excited to see how that trip goes down. Again, we're having a meetup Friday night. Uh, Hopper's Bar and Grill in Midvale, Utah, 6 p.m. Be there. Join us. Talk about the Trojans going into their game against the Cougars and uh, all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, And other little podcast thing of note. Next week is going to get a little funky. Not only is it a short week because USC plays on a Friday night the following week, but... It is a super short week because for us, Monday is a travel day. Yeah. And Monday normally ends up being the day that we record our Fallout episodes. We're recording this episode on Monday morning. Uh, It is going up on Tuesday morning for you guys to listen to. But Monday next week, we will not have an opportunity to record a podcast. So what we are doing, the BYU Fallout episode and the Utah preview episode will be one joint episode. And it will go up on Wednesday. We will record it Tuesday night, next Tuesday. It will go up Wednesday, the, what is that, the 18th? Mm-hmm. September 18th. Two days before uh, the Utah game, just like every other preview, it will go up two days before. But it will have also BYU fallout talk with the rant line slash rave line calls and all of that on there. So just be aware for that. We're going to be down, down a man, down a podcast, but... Um, yeah. Uh, it'll work out in in the end, given the short week. Yeah, this is this is the beginning of the crazy time, Michael. The crazy this this was the calm before the storm. The first two weeks of home games, and now we're traveling to to Utah. Short week, uh, sorry, traveling to BYU. Short week for Utah. Traveling to Washington, and then the away game to Notre Dame. Uh, crazy I'm time. I'm just so looking forward to the bye week. Yes, which sucks because I'm looking forward to these trips, but I'm also looking forward to the. Hit the, the reset moment, on the bye week. Yeah, the moment where you just sort of stop and take a breath and go like, <sighs> maybe unpack your suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's about to get nuts. Uh, let's buckle up uh, and see how it goes. Until then, give us your calls. 213-373-1USC. Suck it, Burn Show. Our email address is rainoftroyatfanside.com. That's going to be it for us. At least give us a final word. The final word is at least. And... At least they're not from Canada. At least you're not a UCLA fan. You didn't get the Canadian reference? I didn't, no. 
struggle. Either way, uh, I feel very bad for our UCLA friends uh, from the What's Bruin show and elsewhere because this is a very trying time for them. Not only did they have to watch that performance against San Diego State on Saturday, then they have to deal with like the insufferability of USC fans who are actually happy. <laughs> like, I, I feel for them. I, I feel for them. It's a rough week for the Bruins. The Bruin Revolution is in full effect. The Bruin Revolution is in full effect. Let's, let's not go too hard on them, guys. Let's not go too hard. All right. All right. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. Uh, sorry. We'll see you guys later in the week. To yeah. Preview USC and BYU. Two more days. We'll see you Thursday. See ya. See ya. See ya. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.